Let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, I did my seminary internship at a small covenant church on the north side of Chicago. Some of you have heard some stories from that kind of quirky internship. It was a, a vibrant, often bohemian kind of community that was a mix of intergenerational families, college students, and strangers off the street. I had come from uh, quite a bit more sort of buttoned up, blue collar, suburban covenant church, and so I felt like I was constantly surprised by things going on at Grace Covenant Church. Um, there were a group of moms who would knit during the entire service. That was new to me. There were homeless friends who would come in, oftentimes with limited language, but they wanted to, to participate in things like prayers of the people. That was new. Um, there was almost constantly a, a woman nursing in the front row, which was new for me. Again, all good. It's fine. Um, but a learning curve for me. I was constantly asking my advisor, Pastor Deb, if she thought that some of these quirks were, were maybe deterrents to good ministry. Maybe they were deterring some visitors from our church. She never seemed too concerned, but there is one uh, event that sort of sticks out in my mind. Pastor Deb was in the midst of a sermon series on prayer, and she was preaching that Sunday on raw prayer. She may have been using a psalm like this one. Crying out to God was the theme, and she invited the congregation to actually practice crying out to God and, and anyone who wanted to in the service could cry out to God in their own sort of unfiltered way. Now, based on my upbringing, my church experience, I, of course, chose to pray, uh, cry out to God in the silence of my own heart, right? That made sense to me. And I figured that that was probably the right and appropriate thing to do. And while I was doing this in the quiet of my own heart, uh, a 30-year-old woman who we knew well in the church got up from her seat towards the back moved down the center aisle, came forward to the front of the sanctuary and laid face down on the carpet. And she began to yell, God, I pray for a child, but you never answer me. I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle another month with no pregnancy. Are you ever going to show up, God? I'm so sad. And then she just said over and over, I'm heartbroken. My heart is broken. My heart is broken. And I'll be honest, I was so uncomfortable. I mean, I kept thinking of the visitors that I had seen come in the back, and, and, and my first instinct was somebody's got to go and, and, and help her, lift her up, bring her to, a, to another room somewhere, give her a hug, like talk through things. We probably shouldn't be playing all of this out here in the service. I mean, how am I supposed to transition to the announcements after this, right? <laughs> but nobody got up to help her. She wailed and she cried for another minute or so, and then she calmly stood up, wiped her tears away, walked back to her seat with her husband, and later on in the service, she was singing worship songs with her hands raised, and I was confounded by this. <laughs> I talked to Pastor Deb afterwards about my feelings and concerns. I wanted to process this with her, and, and she said something that really stuck with me. She said, Lars, that was worship. And she's right. If you look through the Psalms, you'll find ample examples of, of prayers that sound just like this dear woman's prayer. The Psalms are actually a compendium of, of prayers, resources for worship. 
Last week, we began our summer survey of the Psalms, and Joy began with Psalm 1, talking about wisdom and foolishness, which we're going to come back to over and over again throughout the summer. We started this service with Psalm 16. You just sang it during the offering. A a psalm of, of high worship and praise and confidence in God. And then we turn to our reading today, which is Psalm 13, a psalm of lament, which is also worship. North Park Seminary professor Soong Chan Ra wrote a book several years ago called Prophetic Lament. And the whole premise of the book is that the church today often neglects lament as part of worship. And and when I look over our our worship songs, our hymns, sort of the liturgies that we we use, I kind of have to agree with him. I mean, we seldom really lament in worship. Why? Why not? Well, Professor Ra believes that it's because our worship today in the Western world is, is centered often around triumphalism, a, a narrative of success and victory. When we think of the most successful churches, we often think of the ones with large burgeoning uh, ministries and huge budgets and, and good-looking buildings and vibrant worship bands, and we strive for that. In fact, anything that's not moving or growing towards something bigger and better to us, it actually feels like a hindrance to us, Right? There are widespread implications if this is true for us, which I believe it often is. But one of those implications is there's simply not room in our triumphal worship for something like lament. And frankly, I'm guessing that most of us don't make room in our own personal lives for lament. I think about my reaction to that woman on the floor. I was thinking about church growth. I was thinking about the visitors. I was thinking about how it might poorly reflect on on staff members like me. I I didn't have space to see lament as part of worship. But the subtext of this psalm is that it's attributed to David as the author, and it's written for the director of music. This is a worship resource. This was sung. This was recited. You see, the Jews who worshiped at the temple and the early church who used these psalms, they didn't have a problem with lament and worship. They were able to see the seamless transition between a psalm of praise and a psalm of lament. So I chose Psalm 13 this morning because I think it's an exemplary model of what lament truly is. And it's a psalm that could, if we're courageous enough, be part of our worship together as God intended. We don't know the context of the psalm. We, we know that it's from David, and it's at a point where he's feeling abandoned. And because we know so much of David's story, we know that there are lots of different events in his life where this psalm could have come from. But this psalm is clearly in three parts. Six verses, two verses each, three parts, Okay. Um, So I want to unpack each part of this psalm together by looking at each of those. The first part is verses 1 and 2, and that part is David crying out to God. David crying out to God. It's raw, it's real, and in just two verses, David cries out the question, how long four times? Four times. How long will the anguish last? And I'm so moved that that David uses this prayer, how long, instead of a a question of why. Did you notice that? How long, O God, not why God. Now, there are other psalms that ask that question, why God? But here, David chooses how long as his prayer, which implies that there is a reason for God's abandonment. It's a statement of, of deep, abiding faith on David's part, that there's a God who can end this suffering, And here David is crying out, not because there's no God or that 
God's ways are senseless or cruel, but rather because he feels that this time of punishment or this time of need should have run its course by this time. How long states the very true emotion that I think we all feel in times of sorrow that this is never going to end, right? When is this ever going to end? But it's also implied that God is in the midst of it and God can make it stop. The first how long that he has there is how long will God forget him? Now, this is not a cognitive forgetting in a biblical sense. It's more emotional. When we talk about remembering something in a biblical sense, we're we're saying that um, we remember someone by acting in kindness towards them. So to forget in a biblical sense would be the opposite, to withhold help, to withhold comfort. The second how long, how long will you hide your face from me? This is actually a common phrase in the book of Lamentations where where Jeremiah is lamenting on behalf of the people Israel who have sinned and the sin has caused exile of the people. So I think it's, it's very likely that what David's doing by asking, how long will you hide your face from me? He's recognizing his own sin, his own shame. The third how long that you see there has to do with the state of David's mind and his heart and his soul. How much longer do I have to bear this pain? He is in turmoil. He's in deep sorrow. And for those of us here who struggle with mental or emotional illnesses, I think this is David's cry at this point. This is the cry of depression and anxiety. How long am I going to have to endure this this cloud over me? How long am I going to have to endure this racing mind, this racing heart? So if that's your struggle, I hope you can take comfort this morning knowing that your prayer is represented in Scripture. The last how long that David gives is recognizing an enemy, one who seeks to undermine and discourage David. Notice that David doesn't speak directly to the enemy. He's still speaking to God, recognizing that God has the power to stop this enemy, but also recognizing that God has some part in the enemy's presence or can work through it. This is not to say that God sends enemies to us to discourage us, but rather that God does have something to teach us by by not stopping the enemy right away. So, if I could take these four how longs and put them in a word each, David asks God how long because he feels forgotten, ashamed, anxious, and oppressed. You can go back to the last slide if you would. There. Forgotten, ashamed, anxious, oppressed. So let me ask, does that describe you in any way today? (laughs) Do you feel passed over or abandoned by God? Do you have sin in your life, either recent sin or sin long ago that you never really dealt with that is just weighing you down? Do you feel anxious, a racing heart, a racing mind, a depressed soul? Do you feel oppressed, discouraged by those who seem to be out to get you? If these words describe you today, you're not alone. David, the psalmist, resonates with those feelings and he gives them these raw words. So that's the first section. The second section shifts the mood. It's verses 3 and 4. And here David appeals to God. David shifts from from crying to appealing. If if verses 1 and 2 were about God's seeming absence, then 3 and 4 are an appeal for God's presence. David insists upon a divine response from God. So he presents two options to God. He said, God, you can either help me or I'm going to (laughs) die. Those are his options. 
And, and, and he says, God, if you don't give light to my eyes, then my eyes are going to close in death. David appeals to God by saying that if God doesn't help, then the enemy will have prevailed. Now, this might sound like David trying to kind of twist God's arm, which seems like a dangerous thing to do. But again, I actually think it's a remarkable statement of faith. David is recognizing that God, in his divine wisdom, could use pagan nations and, and, and people with bad intentions to be agents of, of the way he wants to work in our lives as a way of teaching us and sharpening us. But he also knows that it is not in God's heart to let the enemy be victorious. So he's appealing to God's character and saying, God, be the good God that you say you are. The last section is notable because it's a posture shift. And that's verses 5 and 6 where David is showing confidence in God and praising God. Interestingly, most of the Psalms of Lament do end with both confidence and praise. And here we see David's trust that God has heard his plea and will respond. When, when David shows confidence in God's unfailing love, he's asserting God's covenant with his people. That word unfailing love is the Hebrew word hesed, and it is, it is high covenantal language. It's showing confidence that God will be loyal to the promises that he made so long ago. There's a confidence that God will show up, and because God has been good, that he will continue to be good. So when we put this all together, I see sort of a three-step way of lament for us, if we want to see it in three steps. Crying out to God, appealing to God, and showing confidence in God. That's lament. It's a model for lament in our lives and in our church. So I want to say today that if you've ever felt like you weren't allowed to say that kind of prayer, you weren't allowed to lament in that way, you are allowed. You are encouraged to do so. Some might look at lament and say, well, that's a lack of faith. That's a, that's a dangerous way to speak to a holy God. Um, it feels un, unfaithful or ungrateful towards God. But it's not any of those things. It wasn't any of those things for David, and it need not be for any of us. Psalm 13, I, I think it's an incredible poem of faith. It's a heartfelt and devoted way of speaking to God, and it's rooted in deep faithfulness. Some feel that lament is kind of an odd fit in a worship service, that it's too messy, it's too personal, it's a distraction from, from worship of a good God. But I've learned that this is not true. I was uncomfortable with lament in worship when I witnessed it in its truest form. But that's really the symptom of our church culture that needs to be corrected because lament is an essential component of Christian faith. Lament recognizes that life is full of struggle and it's full of suffering and that things are not all as they should be. And without lament, we're only getting part of the narrative. We're only getting part of the gospel. It's not a matter of our worship preference. It's actually a matter of faithfulness to Jesus himself. When Jesus was on the cross, the gospel of Mark tells us that he recited the beginning of a psalm. He did not choose a psalm of praise. He chose a psalm of lament. An even more bleak one than Psalm 13, he chose Psalm 22. And in Aramaic, he cries, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first verse of Psalm 22. That was his worship hymn. 
in that moment. There's something awe-inspiring to me about the, the fact that the sense of divine abandonment that David talks about and expresses in the Psalms, Jesus expresses on the cross. And it gives me confidence to know that Jesus himself experienced that abandonment, that feeling of abandonment, while knowing the promise that he was going to be raised to new life. He didn't suffocate on the cross while saying, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. He didn't suffocate on the cross singing, blessed be your name. He allowed himself a raw and real prayer. He owned it. He embraced the suffering, and he did so out of a place of great faith and great hope. So my desire today would would be to challenge us both personally and corporately to integrate a theology of suffering with a theology of celebration. I deeply desire that we would be a church that engages both praise and lament so that we can understand and embody the full narrative of Christ in his suffering and in his triumph. The Psalms of Lament, like Psalm 13, offer us a glimpse of what we ought to be striving for, and I hope that we might praise Jesus with both tears of joy in our eyes and also seamlessly that we might wet the carpet of this sanctuary with our tears of pain. These forms of worship were good enough for David and for Jesus, and they should be for us as well. I'll always think of my friend, this dear woman, as a model of this, wetting the floor with her tears one moment, unashamed of her lament, and then moments later, raising her hand in worship. I feel badly that I was uncomfortable with her lament. It's an indication of the work that God has done in my heart and continues to do in my heart that that I long for expressions of faith like that now. You should know that this dear woman and her husband, a couple years after that lament, brought home two beautiful daughters from China that they adopted. They are healthy and well. They are a forever family. God was good. His steadfast love did endure forever. He did give light to their eyes. He did honor their confidence and praise. It was not immediate. It did not happen the way they thought it was going to. It took a long time, but he was faithful. Thanks be to God. Of course, it doesn't always work out like this, right? Not all laments end up with a picture-perfect ending. Probably few of them do. Not every prayer is answered, but God's love is still everlasting. More often than not in my life, when I've cried out to God, he has been faithful to answer. It's never on my schedule, and it's never the way I think it's going to be, but he is faithful. I don't know where you are today, Many of you will not have lament in your heart this morning, and thanks be to God for that, but I have to believe that some of you here do. I have to believe that there are some here today who resonate with those words, how long, O Lord, how long will this relationship be broken? How long will this cloud hang over my life? How long can I stand the anxiety and the depression? How long can my marriage hold up? How long until this grief that I'm feeling isn't right at the top of my life? How long until I'm healed? How long until I'm out of this financial stress that I'm in? How long, oh Lord? If that's you today, 
if you feel lament in your heart, I want to give space for that this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and they're just going to play lightly for us. I've written a, a lament in the style of Psalm 13 for us this morning, and I'd like to pray it for us. And if you're someone here today who just, you're like, my chief prayer right now is lament. I have lament in my heart. I want to invite you to incorporate that into our worship today by simply standing for this prayer. I'm not going to make you come forward. You don't need to make a statement of any kind. Perhaps if someone rises and stands next to you, you could lay a hand on them to bless them or just to enter into that lament with them. So if you need to lament today, I want to invite you to just stand for this prayer right now. No judgment. You don't need to come forward. Just stand where you are and allow us to lift the heaviness of life to God with you. Someone standing nearby, you can put a hand, a blessing on them. Let's pray. How long, O Lord, we so often feel forgotten. How long, O Lord, we so often feel ashamed. How long, O Lord, will we endure anxious thoughts and heavy hearts? How long, O Lord, will we be discouraged and frustrated by the world around us and those around us? Lord, we appeal to your kindness. We need your help or else we'll be swallowed up in all of the heaviness of life. We know you don't want the foe to prevail over us, so we need your help. We need you to be the good God that you say you are. And in all of these prayers, Lord, we trust in your steadfast love for us. We pray this prayer raw and real, no filter, not out of hopelessness, but out of deep hope that you hear us and you are faithful to respond in your way and in your time. This is our truest, most heartfelt worship before you. Our Lord and our God. Amen. Just stand and sing with us. <laughs>